Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. That's the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com as we break down the O'Reilly Auto Parts 500 from the Texas Motor Speedway. We'll also discuss the inspection process. Does NASCAR need to do something different? Nine cars didn't get through inspection on for qualifying on Friday. Big problem. Also, we'll discuss our bold strategy. We'll talk about our bold strategy. What is one prediction we'll make prior to the playoffs? It's going to be interesting. Mine, I got mine already. I'm sure John's got a very interesting one. Also, the all-star race format. Love everything they've done, except for one thing. I'll discuss that. Plus, we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280. If you want to join the conversation here, I'm talking in circles tonight. Talking all things Texas Motor Speedway. First, John, Jimmy Johnson. Here's, I, I talked about it in the Facebook Live earlier, John. Here's the team. Hendrick Motorsports comes out really struggling in the first six races, especially that 48 and 88 camp. They've really struggled the first six races. Junior didn't even have a top ten. They come out this weekend at Texas. New track, new repave. Everybody said, ah, Jimmy, he's won here all the time. It doesn't really matter. The new track is a new repave. He goes out there and runs that last segment. It was the fastest car on the racetrack. Does a great job. His teammate, Dale Earnhardt Jr., finishes in the fifth spot. A big, big day for Hendrick Motorsports. That 48 and 88 camp really needed that. Well, um, not to say I told you so, but I told you so. Um, with nobody having any notes at all on what Texas was going to be, that's one of those ones where you got to go with who the smartest crew chiefs are in the garage area. Todd Gordon, Jimmy, John, or Chad Knauss, Rodney Childers, Paul Wolf, both Kevin Hardwick won all these stages. All and Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss found the way to get there at the end. Um, the saddest part of the race was Ryan Blaney did so much so early and then slipped through his pits on that money pit stop and wound up costing himself a top five finish, let alone a top ten finish. But, I mean, it was a pretty good race for uh, everything that they were doing. Listen, I thought – listen, for – it being a one-group racetrack, especially through the corners, I thought you could pass on the straightaways, which was good because if you could keep up with them through the, through, through the corners, you had the ability to pass somebody if you are faster. It wasn't like there was one lane throughout the entire racetrack where you couldn't pass anybody unless you moved them. And there was some contact throughout the day. I mean, Ryan Blaney, for example, got, you know, before he had his pit road incident, he got into a little bit of an, uh, uh, I guess you could exchange on a racetrack with Corey LaJoy over really space. LaJoy's a lap car trying to get out of the way and, it just got too congested in the in the corner, and Blaney couldn't go anywhere. Had to roll off the gas, lost two spots. At that point, everybody was kind of looking at it, saying, "If this race runs green, that's going to cost Blaney the race." He was ca- catching leaders by a tenth or two tenths of a lap, and it looked like he was going to catch the leaders. Uh, and then a caution came out, like you said, he overshot his pit stall. I felt bad for the kid. I thought Ryan Blaney ran a great race. It was awesome to see the Wood Brothers Ford up front again. That's twenty-one car. You know, it's been through a lot since the last time they've really uh, been consistently up front. Um, you know, and when you think about the Daytona 500 win with Trevor Bain, that was huge for him. But, you know, they've only won two races in the last two decades. 
you know, since really like 1995 when Morgan Shepard won there, they've won 2001 at Bristol and uh, and the Daytona 500 with Trevor Bain. So, listen, I think this team's going to win a lot of races. I think Blaine's a, a very good talent. Uh, but these little mistakes have to stop. I think they will. You know, we, we still got – he's still a young kid. He's still got to learn. It takes these guys, some of these drivers, two, three. I mean, Larson's in his fourth year, and he's finally blossoming into something. Uh, you know, so – yeah, I think we're going to see Laney even take off this year. This could be his year. But, again, John, I talked about earlier, I think it was a solid day for Hendrick Motorsports. They really needed that. Not that they were, you know, in a bad shape points-wise. Junior was. Jimmy kind of wasn't. Jimmy was in the middle of the pack there as far as points go. But they needed that, I think, to feel better about themselves because Fords were fast. They had them covered on Friday in qualifying. They were really, really fast. But it seemed like once the track got rubbered in, John, towards the end of that race, uh, everything sort of changed. We saw Kyle, you know, Jimmy Johnson work his way up to the field. Kyle Larson really uh, worked his way up to the field. So I think the second half of the race, with this new racetrack, as a track really rubbered in and you got a second groove, I think we started to see uh, different players at the front of the field. I think if there had been five more laps, Kyle Larson would have won the race. And that's one of the things. If Steve O'Donnell, when he talked about with the morning drive about the caution laps after in between segments not counting next year, that would be awesome. That'd be a great change that I think NASCAR should do. And if that's the case, the five or so laps they ran under the caution in between the segments, that'd have been green flag racing. And Kyle Larson would have had a shot at catching Johnson. So I think if he had five more laps, he would have been able to get him. Um, as I said last week, going into the track, I mean, I figured this was a race that Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss would find a way to get themselves up front and have the finish that Hendrick Motorsports normally gets. I think the biggest surprise out of the race was the highest finishing Joe Gibbs car was Kyle Busch in 15th. Joe Gibbs was out to lunch this week. They weren't even close. And that is so unlike Joe Gibbs because they have some of the smarter crew chiefs. I mean, I put Adam Stevens up there with the Chad Knauses and the Paul Wolfs and the Rodney Childers. I'd put um, Adam Stevens up there. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Kenseth, crew chief, I'd put the, the crew chiefs from Jason Racing, yeah, Jason Radcliffe. They're smart guys. They find their way around things, and they were out to lunch all day. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and um, you know, when you think about the strategy and, and, and what that took into the race, I thought, you know, Joe Lugano's team had a really good strategy But before we get on to JGR here. But, you know, let's talk about JGR. Um, it's been a, sort of a, a struggling year for them. You know, when you look at what Matt Kenseth's done this year, he's had a tough year. Suarez, obviously, in his rookie season, probably not ready for Cup. I think we all agreed to that when he when he came to the Cup Series on, on very, very um, weird circumstances, to say the least, with Carl Edwards abruptly retiring in the middle of January. Um, he wasn't ready for Cup, and he's not ready for Cup. And, and it shows, you know, he had a tough day in Martinsville, didn't run good at Texas, you know, I think he's going to be a star, but he's, it's going to take a learning curve for him, no doubt about it. Um, but right now, especially because the Toyotas are, are, are these Joe Gibbs Racing teams are, are lost. Joe Gibbs Racing, Joe Gibbs came out this weekend on I think it was NASCAR Race Hub and said we need some, we have some work to do, and, and they really do. They have some work to do. Um, like you said, Bush was 15th, Kenseth was 16th, got a wave around. I thought maybe Matt would in the second half of the race would, would show his strength. He couldn't do anything past 16th. Suarez was 19th, and Denny Hamlin, he didn't have any trouble and finished 25th. He just wasn't – they just weren't very good on Sunday. And that's what the most alarming thing is. Now you're sitting there going, okay, you can blame Locke only so much. 
they really need to take advantage of these short tracks coming up because you got Bristol and Richmond coming up, two great racetracks. Kyle Busch is a great short tracker. Kenseth's a great short tracker, and so is Hamlin. Those are three, those are racetracks where those three guys can really win. But if they're going to be this far off on mile-and-a-half racetracks, they need to take advantage of the short tracks because if they don't, it's going to be a long year for Joe Gibbs Racing. And the more you think about it, the same equipment that Joe Gibbs Racing teams are having is the same stuff that's out there in Denver, Colorado with Furniture Row. And Martin Truex and Eric Jones seem to be pretty respectable this year. Martin Truex has been up front all season long. Jones has had a couple inconsistent races, but for being a rookie, he's doing really well in good equipment. And for some reason, the guys at Furniture Row are taking the Joe Gibbs equipment that they get and making it even better. And the Gibbs mm-hmm. folks haven't found their way to make it better yet. And that's interesting because First Row Racing did the same thing when they were aligned with the Chevrolet team and Richard Childress Racing a couple of years ago. And they're doing it here. I think last year you could argue the 78 car when they only had one, one car operation was better than Joe Gibbs Racing at times. But Joe Gibbs Racing was very fast. Now we're seeing this team very fast and Joe Gibbs Racing struggling. John, you know, we mentioned Carl Edwards, I mentioned Carl Edwards' retirement uh, abruptly. Do you think this is an, any effect to his retirement? I mean, when you think about it, you know, you had, Joe Gibbs Racing had Four top notch could win at any racetrack at any time drivers at that organization with Kenseth, Bush, Hamlin, and Edwards. Now you got Suarez, and again, he's a rookie. He's a young kid. Unfair to put those expectations on him, no doubt about it. But Edwards might be a guy who could say, hey, let's try this. Let's do this. Who, you know, maybe something jogging back in his brain that they did at Rash Fenway. Is there a call Edwards effect there? And how much do you think to tie into it? Dave Rogers announced a leave of absence after right before Martinsville, and they brought up Scott Graves. Do those two things co- coincide with, with Joe Gibbs Racing sort of struggling here, that you're missing those two key people? Well, one of the things I was reading in motorsport.com, I don't think Dave Rogers is taking a leave of absence. I think he's taking a leave of absence from going on the road. I think he's still working in the shop some. He just needs to be at home for the family issue or whatever is going on with him, because I think I – read that either Utter or Lee Spencer, when they were talking about their article with Jimmy Johnson living in Aspen, that he doesn't want to be Carl Edwards and jump right then because he still wants to live life. But I think they said in the article that Dave Rogers is still working at the shop. He just took a leave of absence from being on the road. I think Carl Edwards not being there does hurt Joe Gibbs racing because I think Carl was more of a technician than – uh, Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin and Matt. Ken- I mean, Matt. Matt's a pretty technical driver, but I think Denny's a feel by your pants driver. And Kyle Busch, you can just put him in almost anything, and he's he's going to make it faster than it really is. And if Kyle Busch is running fifteenth and staying out of trouble and not getting in anything, um, that means Gibbs is way behind. And they've been behind before, and they found their way out of it because if you look two years ago, the whole first half of the season they were out the lunch. And then Toyota stepped up the engine game and everything clicked. I think Daniel Suarez is going to hurt them because he's going to crash more cars, which is going to take more time at the shop. Instead of trying to find ways to go faster, they're going to have to build more cars. And I think that was sponsor-driven that Daniel Suarez is in that 19 car. And I think also the timing of it, because they already announced Derek Jones going to Furniture Row. If Joe Gibbs had their druthers, if Carl Edwards would have made this move sooner, Eric Jones would be in that 19 car and Daniel Suarez would probably still be in Xfinity. Yeah, or in the 77, but you're right. You know, it came out at a really weird time 
And I think it, you know, like you said, Edwards is a veteran. He's a technical driver. I think that maybe this is a little bit of a Carl Edwards effect here. Um, but obviously it's not everything because, you know, you can be a little bit off, but they're they're way off. And they could find it. I mean, this is a sport where we see – look at Hendrick Motorsports. For the first six races, we were kind of in panic mode going, what's going on here? They have to figure it out. And yet they go out and win Texas. Um and I think, you know, will will it be a flip of a switch? It's possible because they have the engines and they have the engineering to do it. But if they perform like this a mile and a half tracks, again, I, I talked about it earlier, um, they're going to need to run good at the short tracks, which I think they're still capable of. I think they're still very good. But, you know, the only highlight for Joe Racing this year has been the fact that Cobb Bush went after Joey Logano. That's been really their only highlight this year. Uh, Bush is seventh in points. Hamlin is 15th. And Matt Kenseth, and then the Suarez are both outside the top 20. I mean, that's that's crazy when you think about the first seven races. And now we're starting to get to a point where they're going to have to pick it up soon if they want to make this chase on points. Yeah, they can roll, roll off a win, but if they want to make it in on points, they're going to have to pick it up. So I think it's a very alar- it was a very alarming race at Texas Motor Speedway for those guys. Um, you know, when you look at the points, John, um, Kyle Larson leads, Chase Elliott second, Martin Truex Jr. third, Brad Keselowski, Joe Logano, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Jamie McMurray, Clint Boyer, and Kevin Harvick in the top ten. Before we make our bold prediction, you look at the top ten in points, who is um, your biggest surprise there as far as the top ten in points right now? You, sat there and you sit there and say, wow, I did not expect them to be where they, right where they are. Well, considering the way he's run all year, the biggest surprise to me is that Harvick's in the top ten. Harvick has run okay. He's done. He's run better than he's finished. I mean, he's got a boatload of stage points, and that's one of the things that really has changed things up. I was looking at the article on Fox News or FoxSports.com where they're talking about the percentage of points that people have got, drivers have gotten from stage races. I mean, Jamie McMurray has 51 points because of his finishes in the stages, which is 24.4% of his points. Harvick has 51 extra points from stage racing, 28, 25.8. And just imagine how much further down in the standings he'd be if he didn't have great stage finishes. Um, and you look, Dale Jr., he has 10 points because he won one of the duels. Same with uh, Chase Elliott. Kyle Larson's been right up there. He's got a boatload of stage points. But it's one of those things. You can drive great during the first two segments. Look at um, Sunday. Chase Elliott, I mean, I'm sorry, Ryan Blaney has 20 stage points from Sunday and finished 12th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, when you look at Blaney, like you mentioned, due to the stage points, he had more points than uh, the fourth-place finisher in Harvick because of stage points, which is hard to believe when you sit there and go, well, he finished 12th. How can he have more points than Kevin Harvick who finished fourth? Because he ran and led both state, won both stages and got 20 extra points, like you mentioned. So, it, it it's changed the game drastically. It really has, and, and I think it's it's something that if you don't get on board with it and you don't get running good, you're going to be far behind. And obviously, we see the points will tighten up when we get to the championship and the playoffs. But you know, there's some discrepancy this year with the amount of playoff points you get, where you finish in points. One through ten gets a certain amount of points, and the championship winner gets 15 points for winning the regular season championship. So. Those 15 points can be huge, and if you add that with stage wins, Blaney got two playoff points this week as well, probably in the chase, barring a major disaster 
Ryan Blaney is probably in the chase. And if he finishes fifth or sixth in points, then he's going to have pretty good playoff points going into the playoffs. So um, he will be rewarded for running really good. And that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on throughout the year and throughout the playoffs of just how many, how much this is really going to matter. And whether these guys have, you know, sat there and, and not changed their strategy up a little bit to where they say, hey, um, we can still sort of do what we always did before. No, it's, it's go time. And you have to come to the racetrack ultra prepared uh, and qualify good because if you don't, you're going to miss out on, on stage points. Unless they throw the precautions like they did this weekend. Well, the, the one thing that, <coughs> excuse me, I was just reading about Blaney. 27.2% of his points are from stage racing. He has 61 stage points. And the one thing that will make a huge difference this year compared to the past years when they've done the chase is the win points and your playoff points will carry over from right. phase to phase from the first go round to the second, I mean, the first three races, second three races, they carry all the way through to Homestead and then Homestead, everybody starts with a clean, fresh piece of paper. But, those two points that Ryan Blaney had may be what makes him get from the first segment of the playoffs to the second round of the playoffs. It just might be those two points that he got from winning stages 12th in the race. No, and you're absolutely right, John. And it it makes, again, this first year, I think teams won't realize the impact of that until we get into the chase and we see just how many, how much that matters compared to, where it did last year. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. John, interesting topic brought up by you this week of a bold prediction. Um, you know, and I'm talking about a bold prediction. Don't say, well, Jimmy Johnson's going to make the chase because we know he's in it. But I'm talking about something that maybe somebody doesn't see. Uh, what's your bold prediction here for the playoffs, before we get to the playoffs in 2017? Is there something that you think is going to happen that a lot of people don't see? I think um, my bold prediction is come July, the announcement that we expect of Eric Jones going back to Joe Gibbs Racing will happen. But I also think in July, the announcement will happen that Matt Kenseth will drive the 10 car for Stuart Haas Racing. Interesting. Now, there's been a lot of speculation and it's all I could say. A lot of speculation about that ten car this year, next year. Uh, who will if you know if Danica doesn't find sponsorship? And listen, and she's become, and I don't mean to, to not talk about her, but she's become virtually irrelevant as far as race recaps go and everything because she just doesn't run good. I, I hate to be mean that way, but she just doesn't. You know, Stuart Haas Racing. We've seen Boyer perform pretty well this year. We've seen Harvick perform well at times. Kurt Busch won a Daytona 500. Danica Patrick has been nowhere near the front. And like I said, you start to see these drivers, these young drivers, peak in their third, fourth year. We've seen it with Austin Dillon. We've seen it with Kyle Larson. We've seen it with Chase Elliott in the second, third year, second year here. Really perform well. Same thing with Stenhouse. We're starting to see him turn a corner and run a little bit better. We haven't seen that at all with Danica. So I think the fact that she might get sponsorship based on performance, she better hope that somebody – sees her, um, what she does as far as PR is concerned, as a big asset. Because if they don't, 
I definitely think she can be out of that 10 car. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on. And that's a good prediction. Now, there's, like you said, there's been a lot of rumors about who's going to be going to that car. I've heard Carl Edwards' name thrown in there. But, I mean, he hasn't announced anything. So, uh, very interesting. Here's my bold prediction, John. And this is something I think a lot of people are going to be surprised about. I think both Roush Fenway cars, they all missed the chase last year. I think both of them will make the chase this year. Both Trevor Bain and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Bain sits 12th in points right now. Stenhouse 19th. I think both of those guys make the, make the playoffs this year. We call it the chase, but it's now, now they want it to refer to it as the playoffs. But I like where that team is. I don't think they're ready to go out and win a ton of races. I don't know if they're ready to win a race yet, but I think they can be very consistent and point their way into this chase. Um, so that's my bold prediction, John. What do you think about that? Um, I think I'll give you one of the two. I don't think both will, but I think one of them has a strong chance. And believe it or not, I don't think it's the guy who's in 12th. I think Stenhouse stands a better chance of making the playoffs than Trevor Bain does. Trevor Bain has, we've done this dance with Trevor Bain before. He started off the season well. He's been in the top 10. He's been in the top 15. And come the summertime, Trevor Bain, it's like there's a boat anchor tied to the six car. And he starts going backwards, drifting into Danica Patrick territory. Um, on the Danica part where you said, um, she's almost coming, getting to the point like on Sports Center. You remember back when Dan Patrick and Keith Overman used to do it? They do the top 10 or whatever, and no matter where Dick Trickle finished, just because they <laughs> like saying Dick Trickle's name on the air, they always had Dick Trickle where he finished. Danica is on there just because she's Danica Patrick, but they always point out where she finishes. I don't, th- I don't see her staying in the car. I see a great improvement from Roush Fenway. I see a lot of movement with what Ford has done this year with the money they've poured into Stuart Haas. And with Roush contracting to get better, I think that has worked. But I don't see both cars getting in the chase. I can see Stenhouse. I just don't see Trevor Bain because we've watched this dance before. Interesting. And, and, and you're right. I think if I had to make a you know, gun to my head, if I had to make a prediction of which one which – I would say Stenhouse. And, listen, Bain had a chance, I think, this weekend to really change people's minds. He had a really, really fast race car in practice. It looked like, hey, this six car might be up there and compete for top ten, and then he crashed on happy hour, which, you know, it happens. You know, people crash all the time, but especially on a new racetrack that they've never been to before. But um, that can't happen any longer. If Rash is building these race cars that are fast, the newest generation of race car, you can't go out there on happy hour and tear it up before you even hit the racetrack for a race. So I think that is a is a was a problem for, for Bain this weekend. I think he cost himself a lot of points. But he ended up okay. He ended up finishing um, in the top 15. He, Stenhouse was 14th. Bain finished 13th. So Rosh Fenway was right there. And that's the thing. They're, they're running with good teams this year. They're running with Joe Gibbs racing. They're running with Stuart Haas racing. They're running with those guys. They're not up front leading laps. They're not up front doing that yet. They need to take a couple more steps to get there. But I think they've definitely made the step in the right direction. If they can make the chase and sell their sponsors, hey, look, we made the chase, and bring a third car in there next year with Chris Buescher and say, hey, listen, um, now we can have three cars and sort of get back to where they were, I think that would be a, a huge step for, for Rash Fenway. It was an important year. It's been an important year for him, and I think for the first seven races, they've done a pretty darn good job. Okay, John. Um, 
another interesting thing coming out of Texas was the fact that we had nine cars not make it through inspection at, at Texas, not qualify. Nine cars, the uh, 300 motorsports cars at Casey Kane, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Chase Elliott never made a qualifying lap. Jimmy Johnson did and spun, but a lot of a lot of cars has been a trend this year. We've seen cars not qualified. Kyle Busch hit the wall in practice, and they elected to not even qualify for that for the race. Are you concerned about this at all? Is this a problem? Is this a trend we're going to see continue? Uh, do you like do you like this, or what do you think needs to happen here as far as this whole qualifying and he's not making it through inspection? Um, I listened to Moody a little bit yesterday, and that was his driving topic of the day. And I think one of the things that one of the listeners came up with was time you fail inspection, you lose five points. Second time is 10, third time is 15. Because the way it's written up, if you have a charter, you are guaranteed a starting spot in the race. I don't agree with it. I think that if you do not present your car on the grid to qualify, you don't qualify. You go home. But the way they have it set with the charters is everybody who has a charter is going to race on Sunday. So there's one of two things. There was um, that penalty that they were talking about, and then there was one where I dug up an article that was on racefansforever.org that back whenever they first went to Vegas – there was big-time penalties to start the day. Um, Todd Barrier had a rigged gas tank to make it seem like it was full, but it only had three gallons of gas in. Harvick and Childress were taking 25 points. Todd Barrier had a a four-race suspension. Then after the race, they took three cars back to the R&D center. Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson, their car was too high. Kyle Busch and Alan Gustafson, their car was too low. And Kevin Harvick was the third team since they had just pinged him for the gas tank violation. They figured they'd take the car home and take it apart. And Harvick was just right. Harvick wound up still losing four races because of the rigged gas tank. But Knaus and Gustafson originally received two race suspensions and it wound up getting overturned and the points got overturned. I think if that's the case he had an idea in this article where the old bill france jr thing that they used the skit in days of thunder of like the japanese ship if they don't want to bring your stuff in they'll let it rot on the boat and then you can bring it in and he joked that we'll take your cars apart for 400 laps and if you can get it back together you can get on the track i think if they do not present for qualifying they don't get to practice that's the case they don't get to fix anything when the green flag drops they can start fixing the cars and then when they get the car fixed and through tolerance and through inspection then they can come out 20 25 laps down but it'll make them make sure that they get through inspection it was interesting and i've had this i had a conversation with uh, a buddy of mine who i talked about this whole inspection process and there's a lot of people out there who think NASCAR's in the wrong. Well, they need to open up the rule book. And I listen, you're preaching to the choir here. I think the rule book opening up the rule book would be an amazing thing. But that's not the case right now. And to me, you have to make your car legal. 
And teams are pushing the tolerances, no doubt about it. You know, I heard David Reagan on the radio this week say, hey, listen, 30 cars were, were fine. 31 cars were fine at Texas. Nine of them weren't. So 31 cars got the message. How come the nine didn't? Because they're pushing the tolerances as much as they possibly can. Now, that's racing, and that's what's going to happen. But to me, I, and I agree, John, I think there should be a rule in there in qualifying where if you don't attempt to qualify, if your car doesn't hit the track for qualifying, that this way it prevents anybody from spinning out on a warm-up lap. If your car doesn't hit the track, if you don't make an attempt for qualifying, you do not race on Sunday. I would be okay with that. Um, I really would. And I think that would put away the shenanigans. Now, it's very hesitant to do that because, again, you look at the three drivers who missed who missed? Who would have missed the race if, if we had that rule in Tacka, Texas? Chase Elliott, very popular. His dad was one of the most popular drivers in the sport. Dale Earnhardt Jr., come on. He's the most popular driver in the sport, hands down, not even close. Casey Kane's a pretty popular driver. The list goes on and on and on. And you're going to tell these fans that paid money at Texas Motor Speedway, well, your driver's not in the race, not because he wasn't fast enough. His team never even hit the racetrack. Yeah, that, that – but – what does that do for your outdoor sales? What does that do for your ratings, a, a, a sport that's already struggling in ratings? Look what happened today, and I'll talk about it later in the All-Star race. But they put in a rule so Dale Earnhardt Jr. can get in the All-Star race because they don't want the fans to sit there and say, God forbid we have that one chance where we don't get Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Danica Patrick into the race at the same time because they want the ratings to get picked up. That's a, that's a fine line telling a sport that's had big-time rating problems, big-time attendance problems, hey, your driver is going to go home because they didn't pass inspection. But it would end shenanigans. I like better, John, the fact that you could, like you said earlier, take away 15 minutes of practice and happy hour. I think that's huge. I think te- that, would, that would really, really help this, where if you don't qualify, if you don't make an attempt for qualifying, you have to sit out the first 15 minutes of happy hour. I like that. I think that's something NASCAR should intact, something they should put in place. I think that would help end shenanigans because time now without the testing is premium, especially for these big teams, and I think that would end it a lot, help end it a lot. Well, they do uh, have penalties for practice. If you failed tolerance in the inspection line too many times, you'll lose 15 minutes of practice. I'm not saying take 15 minutes of practice away. I'm saying take the whole thing away. If you do not qualify, you don't practice. You can start Sunday at the back of the field, but you look at how Jimmy Johnson did it. I mean, he spun coming after his lap and flat spotted three of his four tires. He wasn't going out and running another segment. He qualified 24th, and since he had to change his tires, he wound up going to the back. But he practiced all day Saturday, junior practice all day Saturday, and the top two cars Saturday in practice were Jimmy Johnson and Dale Earnhardt Jr. If you don't qualify, you don't have all day to get your car set up and get it dialed in and practice it and figure out what's good and what's not. You go out blind, and good luck to you. I think as well, until they open up the rule book, which we hope they will at some point again, and put it back mm-hmm. in the crew's hands instead of engineering everything and you only have two or three different things you can do to adjust the car during the race, I think taking practice away, the entire practice would stop this. And if that doesn't work, if they fail once and they lose all that practice, the next time you start taking points. I think what teams are doing, John, it's in – um, John, you know, now it's the fact that you 
raced on the tires you qualified. Teams are sitting there like Jimmy Johnson did at California where tires were really wearing. So that's fine. I'm going to catch the field with the first segment because I know we're going to get at least two cautions with these segments. So I'll catch the field. Yeah, it's not ideal to start in the back, but I'll catch the field and I'll have two laps fresher tires than anybody else or four laps fresher tires because some of these teams go three, four, five, six, even six laps in qualifying because of the three, two or three rounds depending on where you are. So I think that's an asset. They kind of look at it and say, I'll rather have my tires. And this way you don't have to start a practice session on a pair of scuffed tires or, or, or you sort of have that extra set of tires to do kind of what you want with them because a tire doesn't get taken away from Tires don't get taken away from you now because of qualifying. So I think teams have looked at that and said, well, it's better off tire management-wise to sit out qualifying. And, yeah, we'd like to qualify up front, but if we don't, it's not the worst thing in the world, especially when they have to fix these race cars because these race cars, the way they look at it and say, my race car is not 100%, I don't have to work my guy's tails off and, and make them tired to get it ready for qualifying. I can just skip qualifying. I'm okay with that. Come in the next morning and get it ready for practice. So I think these teams are looking at that, especially saying, I don't want to burn my guys out uh, during the weekend to get the car ready for qualifying. And that's one of the things I almost wish that NASCAR would look at as well is whatever the most amount of laps that anybody put on their tires in qualifying, that team that does not qualify has to go out Saturday morning and run that many laps and they confiscate that set of tires and it goes on the car as they start in the back on Sunday. That's interesting. I mean, how do you know how many laps they run? Is it on that certain set of tires? It's got to be a honor code. You know, that's the problem with that. But I mean, again, it's hard to say stuff. Okay. Well, what, what's technically, Technically, scuffs. Scuffs can be two, three, four laps, one, two, three, four laps. So if I skip my tires on one lap, okay, this guy's still got four on my tires. How do I know? It's just, to me, it's it's a little crazy. It's not a bad idea, but you'd have to, you know, like they got the little uh, almost like barcodes on these tires where they go through, and that's how they do it in, in qualifying inspection. They, they mark tires down. When you go through for the race, you better have the same set of tires on when you go through qualifying. There's no inspection for practice, so they can't do that for practice unless you want to take nine cars that failed inspection and do that with their tires and say, well, you better have these sets of tires on when you – but you're not requiring them to go out at that time at the same time. Well, that's so, what I would – I'd open up practice 10 minutes early for the cars that did not qualify and make them run 10 laps or however many laps, the most laps anybody put on the tire. And then they come in, NASCAR takes the tires, then they can go back on the track and practice with their practice sets. But NASCAR has the set with the amount of laps where they can police it and they don't have to worry about the honor code. Because if you leave it up to the honor code of a crew chief, they're going to find a way to get around it every time. Absolutely. Absolutely. These guys are really smart. And I think that's why, you know, I wrote an article on speedwithmedia.com this week about Team Penske and their appeal. We talked about it on the show last week where I thought Team Penske conveniently scheduled, you know, appealed so Bra- so Paul Wolf could be around for the chase races, chase tracks at Texas and Martinsville and miss the non-chase races at Bristol and Richmond. I think that was kind of a sort of a clever move by Team Penske there 
Uh, and it just shows you how smart those teams are, no doubt about it. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. New all-star format, John. They're going back to 1992. The way they, you know, 1992, great all-star race. Uh, Davey Allison, Kyle Petty crashing at the line. Everybody remembers that. Dale Earnhardt getting spun out in turn three, coming to the checker. Uh, Allison won, but was was in the ambulance uh, in the hospital when the car was in victory lane. They were celebrating. A great weekend, the first one under the lights. They decided to do that. That format, again, that format featured three 20-lap segments followed by a 10-lap segment. So that's where they got these from. Sort of getting people to say, hey, we're going back to our roots. But the most interesting thing, I think, John, is teams will be given a set of soft tires to use at their discretion. So you'll have probably, you would assume teams have four sets for each four segments. And one of those sets will be a softer better gripping tires uh, where you can use at any time. You know, and I think that makes it a little bit interesting because if you really, and, and then the final 10 lap segment is based on your average finish from the first three segments and only 10 cars race that final segment. So if you've had a really rough first two segments, you might stick those softer tires on and say, man, I really need to finish good this segment to get into that final segment and then you have the hard tires going against softer tires. Interesting strategy here, John. What are your thoughts on, on the softer tires that NASCAR has done? I think um, it's okay. It could be interesting because the softer tires supposedly run anywhere between three and, and a half a se- three tenths and half a second faster than the harder set of tires. The problem is if too many people try the softer tires in the third segment to make sure they get in this race, they could pile up going into turn one because everybody in the back is a half second faster than the people in the front. The people in the front are blocking because they're in front and we could have a pile up in turn one and we're pulling all the backups out. Like we did that night at rain. And as they went into turn one, everybody piled it up and everybody brought their backup cars out because they didn't know what to do. A freak thunderstorm in turn one. And all of a sudden your whole field is piled up and there's like five cars left that they could run. I think it has a chance of being a disaster. I think it has a chance to be the ultimate um, smart move because they said if you change tires and put your softer tires on going into the last segment, you start in the back of the field. Now, the three-segment winners are guaranteed a spot in the field. Say, for example, you win segment one. You come in with twelve laps or two laps to go before they close the pits in the third segment and put that softer set on. So that way you're not changing. You've got um, track position because everybody else is going to come in and change that to get in their softer tires, and your softer tires aren't new. You might have a lap or two on them. That's a smart. That's something somebody's going to try for a million bucks on the line. Someone's going to try that. Oh, absolutely, and that's I think what makes this interesting is how is NASCAR going to handle this? So are we going to see the pits close five laps prior to a segment? Um, that would change up the strategy a little bit. Are we going to see, you know, you know, it could depend on qualifying, where these teams say, you know what, on Saturday we qualified, um, you know, 19th, 
the only way we're going to get to the front is if we put the soft tires on, we need to get to the front and get some track position. So we'll put the soft tires on. Even though we're starting 19th, we're going to put them on in the first segment. I don't care. We want the ultimate goal is to get to the last segment so we have a shot at a million dollars, and we'll take our losses there. We'll stay out because, you know, if you stay out on the, or, or get the the older set, will teams go with two tires? Will they go two softer tires on the right side, two le- harder tires on the left side, and then vice versa going to the final segments? It's very interesting. I, how will that affect the handling of the race car? We don't know. I hope a little bit better. I hope they're not three-tenths, four-tenths a lap faster because, that to me, that kind of makes the point doesn't really uh, help anything. I think if, if they're that faster, you sit there and go, what's the point of even working on a race car? You know, you can go out there and they're going to win with one set. I hope they're a little bit faster. I hope they're a tenth faster a lap. That, to me, would make sense. Um, so at least if your race car's not handling great uh, – you know, you still might be able to to lose some spots to guys who have a good handling race car. It's interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting. I, I like that fact a lot. I like the fact, John, I've been calling this for years. I wanted to see 10 drivers, the final 10 laps, in that final segment. I wanted to see a 10 laps, green. I don't want to, I, I hope they say 10 green flag laps. And where there's it is 10 green flag laps. 10 green flag laps is what I want to see. Caution laps don't count, and you sit there and go, Go at it for a million dollars. I like that. That is where it should be. I I, I like the format we had back in the early 2000s where each segment, certain cars got eliminated because it made you have to race. We didn't have to worry about average finishes. We didn't have to worry about people sandbagging it because people were eliminated. Um, and now you're going to see that at least in the third, stage three, in stage two, where if these cars aren't running very good because we're going by average finish now, we really have to step up. So you can't sandbag, which is great because – Unless you win the first two segments, the first segment, which, or, or segment two or segment, you know, first two segments, if you win one of those, um, you're in good shape. You know, you can sandbag and sort of take your time, take your time, don't have to worry about soft the tires if you didn't put them on, and work about those 10 laps, get those cars ready for that 10 laps because you know you're going to be in it. It's very interesting, John. Well, the one thing I didn't see if there was any official rules on what they could and couldn't do or if they had to make pit stops or whatever. Because if you think about it, 70 laps at Charlotte, you can do that on one pit stop. You can do one pit stop in the 70 laps and end up being fine on fuel. Because the regular race run during the Coca-Cola 600 is anywhere between 50 and 60 laps. So you can come in the middle of stage one, take four tires, and run the rest of the race. Yeah, that's a good point. I think... um... You know, you said 70 laps, and I'll and I'll take it, take a look at it now. Uh, the format is four stages. Cars with the best average finish will make up the remaining spots. Uh, there's no rules yet that I've read that it forces you to qualify. I think maybe that or it forces you to pit. I think maybe that last segment they will probably do that. Um, but let's take a look at the eligible drivers as we sit right now. Drivers who have clinched their spot in the All Star race, and here's the el- here's the eligibility for the All Star race. Drivers who have one points race in either 2016 or 2017, drivers who have won a Monster Energy NASCAR All-Star race and compete full-time, and drivers who have won a NASCAR Monster Energy Championship and compete full-time. Those who have not earned a spot can get in via the fan vote st- stage voting in the open or by winning by winning the open or the fan vote. Um, you know, there's three stages in the open, so you, if you win one of the two, 
one of the three stages you're in the open and taking off like they did last year where we saw a Biffle and Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott had an epic battle to the finish. But the drivers who are eligible right now as we sit, Chris Buescher, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, Casey Kane, Matt Kenseth, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Jim McMurray, Ryan Newman, and Martin Truex Jr. Kane and Earnhardt are benefited by having a Monster Energy All-Star Race win. Now, Kane's won his in the last decade, so he would have been locked into the same thing with McMurray. They would have been locked in via the points, via the way those rules were last year. I don't like the fact that they've changed the compete full-time if you want an all-star race just to get Dale Earnhardt Jr. into this field. To me, it's an all-star race, and it should be about recent performance. I'm okay with a decade. I'm okay if you're a champion and you compete full-time and you're in a decade and you run won a championship in this decade. I'm okay with if you won an all-star race in this decade. But Dale Earnhardt Jr. won an all-star race 17 years ago. Those guys that he beat, I think they, unless Kenseth ran in, nobody's around anymore. Um, so I have a problem with that. Uh, and he can still go out and win one of these next three and get into the all-star race. But I didn't like the fact that they changed the rules just to sort of get Dale Earnhardt Jr. And quietly. It was like, oh, we're going to throw a good – Good, you know, new uh, new format at you, and you're not even going to know what happened. They did kind of under your nose there, so that was interesting. But what do you think? Um, you know, any drivers out out right now that you look at, and you say, well, they they got to get in. Uh, they'd be an interesting case that they're in. Um, and who do you think? You know, Chase Elliott, for example, he's not in. Uh, do you think he wins the Open? What are your thoughts on on those guys as far as eligibility is concerned? I think um, Chase Elliott will probably win a race before the all-star race. I think Clint Boyer will win one of the segments if he doesn't win a race before the all-star race, because those are the two cats who have run the most consistent of anybody who hasn't won a race yet this year. Um, The one thing I, I would like to see, and I think it could be interesting is if Chase Elliott doesn't win one of the stages in the open, see how the, fan vote is between Chase Elliott and Danica Patrick. Now, if Junior wasn't put in for the any all-star race winner, and people, not many people paid attention that it was only 10 years back because they just don't pay that close attention. People like you and me, we pay attention to that thing, but the average fan, they just thought the all-star race winner, if you won one, you're always in. So they, it's not like they snuck something past many of the people. They snuck, tried to sneak something past you and me, but that didn't work. But I could see, I mean, if Dale Jr. was going to make the all-star race anyhow because the fan vote would have been overwhelmingly Dale Jr., I think it'll be interesting to see if it is Chase Elliott or Danica Patrick who would get the fan vote. Yeah, and I, I tell you, I don't think NASCAR wants to get into that dilemma because I think they look at it as – well, we need Danica. Maybe they maybe they think they do. I think uh, you don't. If you need a driver, you're in big trouble. That's the way I look at it. And uh, I think they look at it and they say they would like Danica in that race. They think the ratings would be higher in that race. And and to me, it's an all star race. I like I like the fan vote. I think the fan vote's cool. I'm okay with one. I think it was ridiculous. They had two two fan votes last year, or however many they had, or, or they had to have a certain amount maybe in. Um, I think it was two fan votes last year. It was awful. One is plenty. 
Um, and I'm okay with that. I think it's cool, cool thing. You can vote for your driver, yada, yada, yada. I'm okay with that. But two is crazy. And it's just, to me, everything else, NASCAR had the best all-star format because you had to race your way in. You could either win, win a championship. It was based on performance. You look at Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball's all-star game is a joke. Nobody pays attention to the Pro Bowl in the NFL. Um, you know, hockey's okay, but, you know, a lot of it's based on fan voting. Here you actually have to earn your way in. And I think it's great, except for the fact that you could win an all-star race 17 years. But I have a big problem with that. That bothered me because, again, they tried to sneak it under you. Uh, I read it on NASCAR.com, and it was like the last, oh, by the way, here's the, you know, it's the drivers. They tried to sneak it on you and say, well, here's everything else. They don't tell you that Dale Earnhardt Jr. is locked into the field because he really technically, through last year's format, shouldn't be locked in. Um, okay, before we go past the all-star race, I just, whenever you brought up Major League Baseball's all-star game, here's a wild card. Daniel Suarez, he could have an entire country vote for him, the same sure. way Ichiro did to win the uh, all-star fan vote for years, the same way Yao Ming did in basketball to win the all-star fan vote every year. Daniel Suarez could have the entire country of Mexico voting for him. Mm-hmm. And Carlos Slim is putting routers in everybody's house in Mexico to make sure that everybody can – have internet and be able to see what's going on on TV. And I think Carlos Slim would love to have Eris in the all-star race, sort of like they had Eris in the uh, shootout that shouldn't have been there to begin with. But I could see Daniel Suarez being a surprise and having everybody in Mexico who follows racing voting for their countrymen to get him into the race and Danica not being there. Listen, I think – that is a very good point. Um, RS might even get their employees to say, hey, listen, vote for this guy. You know, we saw Josh Wise come out of the blue a couple of years ago on Reddit due to the people on Reddit and vote the crap out of him and get him into the All-Star race, and, and Danica didn't get in. Um, you know, I totally think it is possible. Now, is it likely? No, but it's very possible. Uh, and, again, you know, she could be in her last – this could be her last chance of making the All-Star race. And – you know, again, I don't want to pile on on her because I think she's a nice girl. I think she's she's likes to race. I think she's done wonders for the women in racing. But you know, she hasn't competed very well. And to me, she's as far as you look at as an all-star driver, she's not. So, you know, the only way she's going to get in, in my opinion, is the all is the fan vote. That's the only way she gets in the all-star race. I don't think she's going to race her way in. I don't even think she was close last year. I don't think she'll be close to this year to get in racing her way in. Um, John, what's been your biggest surprise of 2017? I think, you know, we kind of talked about bold predictions, but surprises, you know, we we talked about it a little earlier as far as points goes, but the sport as a whole, um, you know, there's a lot of new, a lot of new coming in with the stages, um, with monster energy, you know, a lot of different drivers and different rides as far as in the 19, we didn't expect that, uh, What's been your biggest surprise in 2017 so far this year? Um, I think the racing's been a little better with the lack of downforce, and that has helped things. I think TV. I think TV is tough to watch anymore, just because the Daryl and Mikey sideshow that takes away from the racing. Um, I think that hurts 
But I think my biggest surprise of the season is probably Matt Kenseth playing chicken with as many walls as he has this year. Matt Kenseth takes care of equipment. He doesn't wreck very often. And Matt Kenseth tore up three cars in seven races. That's something that's a big surprise to me. The next closest thing to a surprise to me is was sort of hopeful optimism on my part being a Stuart Haas fast fan. But the way Clint Boyer and Mike Bogoravich have clicked right off the bat, that was a surprise to me. But I think the biggest surprise is the way Kenseth has been running and how many times he's wrecked instead of just running bad or something. No, yeah, it's been an interesting year in a lot of ways. I'd say my biggest surprise, and this is in a good way, is Kyle Larson. I think I think we all thought Larson would compete for wins at certain racetracks. I think all of us kind of saw Larson go out and say, well, he's a great race car driver. He's gonna... But I don't think anybody saw what he's been able to do in the first seven races. Yes, I know Martinsville was a struggle. But aside from Martinsville and Daytona, which he almost had a Daytona 500, he was a lap away from winning the Daytona 500. He's finished in the top two in every race this year. He's been unbelievable this year, that 42 car. And you could say, well, his team's been really good, and they have. But Jim McMurray hasn't done what the, the 42 cars done this year. Larson is on top of his game. This is a kid who a lot of people have been waiting for him to blossom. Great dirt racer, great background. He's great. He's great. Just wait for this kid to go out and win races. And we've been kind of waiting in, in the first couple of years. He kind of sat there and went, yeah, we saw some nice things, but we didn't see him really take off. This is his coming out party, and he is – celebrating like you would not believe. This has been an unbelievable start to the year. He needs to figure out what's going on with the short track. Hopefully he can run good at Bristol and Richmond for him because then they can really at least say, hey, we ran good at the short tracks this year too because Martinsville they didn't run very good at. But a mile and a half, everywhere we've gone this year, that 42 car has been really, really fast. And if you told me that before the year that the 42 car would come out and dominate the way they have, I would have not believed you. They've been really, really fast. It's been a pleasant surprise. I didn't think they would dominate the way they have, but also I'm the same guy who two years ago said that Chad Johnston had no business being sitting on top of a pit box. And last July said, what the heck were, was Chip Ganassi thinking by getting Chad, Chad Johnston away from uh, Stuart Haas and putting him with Larson? Because the first half of the year, they weren't all that good. The second half of the year, they turned it on. And going into the chase, if I remember right, I, you predicted him to win. So the marriage that between is. Johnston and Larson has matured, and we're seeing that maturity grow on. And, I mean, to me, the big surprise is how good Chad, Chad Johnston has turned out to be as a crew chief. Uh, another surprise that I was thinking about while you were talking about yours is the lack of attendance at Xfinity races. I was listening to uh, Pat Patterson on Sunday, and one of the guys who was at the dirt track at uh, Texas Motor Speedway for the Tony Stewart All-Star, I mean, the race they had for the sprint cars, they said there were more people at the sprint car race, and the sprint car stadium seats about 12,000, than were at the Xfinity race at Texas. The lack of crowd at the Xfinity race is really surprising because they've had some pretty good races. They have. But I'll say this about the Xfinity Series. We talk about, uh, and I'll get back to my surprise in a second. We talk about 
uh, stage points. And if you look at the points in the Xfinity series, you know, the, the just the way the series is ran, because of the fact that um, top guys are up there stealing up a lot of the a lot of the stage points every week. When you look at the points, those the the distance between first and twelfth this year in Xfinity, I believe, is going to be the furthest that we've ever seen going into a chase, going into this chase. Um, because of the fact that the first, the guy who's first in points will have a lot of a lot of points, a lot of stage points from winning all those races. And right now, if you look at who's 12th in points, it's Cole Custer. You know, Michael Ness had a tough year in that in that seven car. He's tied for ninth in points. But you look at like the, the top five have had a really good year: Sadler, Byron, Reed, Wallace, and all guys. They've all had a really good years. From that point on, they've all really kind of struggled. And It'll be interesting to see if one of those guys from 7th on back to 12th right now can get up and win the championship because then you sit there and you go, wow, this is a really flawed format. I don't think it's going to happen because I think points mean a lot this year, but the distance right now, Custer's got 118. He's over 100 and points back of Elliott Sadler, and he's 12th. That distance is probably only going to grow from, from 1st to 12th. So that if the 12th place guy somehow pulls off the championship, it's going to be like a miracle, and there's going to be a lot of people saying, well, Sadler had a really good – or everyone's the championship had a really, really good year, and it's unfortunate he couldn't win. It's unfortunate that the 12th-place guy who really struggled all year in Xfinity um, and never won any stage points won the championship. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as far as that's concerned. And I'll say this. I think Michael Annette, not that not the poor, hit the poor guy between the eyes, but they really, really struggled – in Xfinity this year. You know, he's come to Junior Motorsports. A lot of people looked at him and said, well, he's struggling in the cup, but that team hasn't wasn't very good. Um, he's come here in the first six races in, at Junior Motorsports, and a ninth-place finish, finish at Phoenix, which they kind of salvaged the day. But other than that, it's been a struggle for that team. We haven't seen a lot of speed. His team has been really fast. All guys want to race. We've seen them. Sadler and Byron have been really fast. But that five-car in the Xfinity Series for Junior Motorsports has been really slow, and that's one of my surprises too, John. Uh, not really for me, because Michael Annette, whenever he was driving the 43 car before he went cup racing, never set the world on fire there either. I mean, he was a 10th to 15th place car. I mean, he was never really contending for top fives. I think my, Michael Annette's one of those guys, he's in a car because he brings P- Pilot Flying J with him. I mean, why is Michael Annette in that five car and not Alex Bowman? Sponsorship. No, listen. Alex Bowman deserves a ride in, in, in something, no doubt about it. Um, and that, it's a shame that he can't get one. and just shows you the problem we have in Xfinity in trucks and even cup at times where, you know, if you bring sponsorship, uh, you got a lot, you're a lot more likely to get a ride than somebody who's extremely talented. And what Bowman did at Phoenix last year in that 88 car, was unbelievable, and the fact that he doesn't have a decent ride somewhere um, is is interesting. It's, it's just it's just a problem we have in this sport. I'll say this about Bowman quick before we sign off. Keep an eye on him because I think he could be a very big candidate if they if Rash push Busher back to that thir- from that thirty seven car. I think Bowman could be a candidate for that ride next year. I want to thank John Harlow. Does a great job every every week as a co-host. BeWithMedia.com. We'll see you next week here on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.